You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about space books and what makes a space opera a space opera. And we're interviewing Charlie Jane Anders, favorite of the show. That's right. This is like such a Bria episode. It's totally space is. books and we interview Charlie Jane. Totally true. <laughs> totally true. But first, what are you reading? I am reading, actually, I just finished uh, listening to a book called um, 10 Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World by Fareed Zakaria. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this book. Um, Fareed Zakaria is a, has a podcast. I can't think of what it's called. But... Um, uh, he's a, he's a best-selling author. He's a, he's a journalist. Um, and basically he goes through lesson by lesson, um, covering things like the things we've learned in the last year regarding globalization, regarding inequality, regarding, there was a lot about, um, relationships between countries. This is not like, you know, <laughs> a super, this is definitely like, you know, a drier book than a book I would normally read, but it it really was fascinating to me. I listened to it while walking around my neighborhood, but it's great. And it's like, it's like stuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff like I know I'm worried about a lot of stuff that I'm like, what are we going to do about this? Or what if this happens again? That's the biggest question which she talks about quite a bit. And like, how are we so how were we so unprepared? And what can we do to be more prepared? And, and how what in what ways were we actually kind of prepared? Um, and it, and it goes through these lessons about what we learned. Um, so if anyone's having like that sort of like, what what are we doing now? I, I feel like this was like, is a nice Band-Aid for that? Because uh, I felt like it was like, okay, like this is uh, this is my, my aloe vera to my sunburn from the pa- pandemic. <laughs> um, and I really liked it. And, and it's it's not that long. So I listened to it and like he, he reads it. Um, and he kind of just goes through all of the like, the stuff that, like, you know, I don't personally follow a ton of stuff about economics or, or um, you know, country relations as much. I followed it a lot during the pandemic, and I, there was a lot I had to learn. Um, and so, and I felt like I learned a lot from from reading this book. Uh, what are you reading, Mallory? I am reading the next page to screen book club pick uh, to oh. all the boys I've loved before by Jenny Han on Libby. Yes, um, I, I, it's. Adorable, first off. And I went, so on May 8th, Bria and I are doing the next Page to Screen book club. All you got to do is read To All the Boys I Love Before by Jenny Han and then watch the show, watch the, the movie on Netflix. I've not watched the movie yet because I'm still reading the book, uh, but I love it so far. Um, it is fantastic. It's a YA book. Um, and it's about this, this t- teenage girl who writes all these letters to all the boys that she has crushes on. And what I didn't know before I started the book, and it's like, I mean, it's in the first chapter, so it's not a spoiler, but what she does is she only writes these letters to boys after she's done having a crush like when she's ready to not have a crush on them anymore she's like getting rid of her crush on them by writing these letters and uh somehow they end up in the hands of all the boys that she's written them to like they're she normally writes them and keeps them in a hat box and like never ever like expects them to see the light of day let alone be read by the people they were written about uh but it happens and a bunch of bunch of chaotic uh teenage feeling things happen and I, I absolutely love it it is so much fun it's so well written I can't wait to see the movie um yeah so that's May on May 8th join us on Instagram live we're pretty uh pretty excited about it yeah that would um, be fun oh I'm excited to read that now that you're reading it oh it's really good yeah I got it got it on Libby so that's all the boys to all the boys I've loved before by Jenny Han 
And mine is 10 Lessons for a Post-Pandemic World by Fareed Zakaria. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Lori writes in, I was just listening to the childhood wheelhouse from a listener and mine was so similar. It made me think about all the books about talking animals or a strong human animal bond that I loved as a child. I realized this might actually relate to my current career as a biologist <laughs> who studies the behavior of monkeys and apes and other animals. I've always wanted to talk to animals. Studying their behavior closely is probably the closest I can get until I stumble into a magical world. Anyway, I thought this was an interesting realization about me and the books I like and I was wondering if you or any of your listeners had similar experiences of connecting your childhood reading to something in your adult life oh for sure i mean i until i got into the world of film and writing i mean i was going to college for animal science and i read a shitload of animal books like that's the dream right is to be able to talk to animals and then fall into a magical animal world love it same here i mean yeah i mean i read a ton i read a ton of stuff about animals i think all kids do and then um uh, yeah, what ended up volunteering a lot with animals as I got got older. Yeah. Makes total sense. There's that animal book to uh, animal owner p- pipeline is strong. <laughs> so Rachel wrote in and said, I was listening to your podcast about focusing on reading during quarantine and wanted to share something that worked for me. Sounds like a hot book tip, but we will see. Um, like many people, <laughs> I had a hard time focusing on any books when quarantine started. Though I never considered myself an audiobook per- person before, I found out by accident that I could be. Phoebe Judge, host of the Criminal Podcast, I love that podcast, has started a new podcast called Phoebe Reads a Mystery, in which she reads a chapter a day of a classic mystery novel. By the time I caught up with my month-long backlog of podcasts, I'd read... I'd read The Mysterious Affairs Affair at Styles and The Hound of the Baskervilles, and I am thoroughly engrossed in The Moonstone. I then started checking out audiobooks from my local library via the Libby app. Hey, we, they're one of our sponsors today. I found it much easier to focus on a book when I'm I'm also working a physical task like cooking or cleaning or one of my one of the more mundane parts of my job as I work from home. Total same. That is a Total Hot same. Tip. Very cool. I've never checked out this podcast before, but now I'm going to uh, give me, it a listen. Me neither, but I like Criminal. Criminal is a good podcast. But I have found I've had trouble listening to podcasts as much during the quarantine. Just my Because there's problem. no commute. We're not leaving. Yeah, there's no leaving the house. So Yeah, there's no commute. But since I am also at home cleaning or doing cooking or something, I have been listening to audiobooks too. I'm, I'm right there with you, Rachel. So Kathy wrote in saying, you had an episode talking about what to bring to have signed at an author event. Being someone who primarily reads ebooks, I was actually contemplating the same thing because I was going to be seeing Marie Benedict the following week for her new release of Lady Clementine. As soon as you guys suggested a tote bag, I knew just what to bring. My daughter had recently bought me a library card tote bag for my birthday on Etsy, so I decided to bring that along and Marie was happy to sign it. Even if I have the physical copy of the book at future author events, I will also bring my tote bag along to keep adding great authors names that was a hot book tip from the the before times when people could go to uh author events and some i forget where the hot book tip if it was from you or me or a listener about if you are an ebook reader just bringing a tote bag in to um I think that's cool as hell. It's yeah. like, you know, when you go to summer camp and the last day, everyone has a white T-shirt and everyone signs it with like an inside joke that you're never going to remember <laughs> after like the next month. I, okay, my seventh grade boyfriend, who I'm still friends with, wrote me, showed, sent me a photo recently <laughs> of what I wrote in the back of his yearbook in which I said, there was some inside joke and then I wrote, you're fine. Fine meaning hot. 
Priya <laughs> with the you're, moves. You're fine, smiley face. <laughs> Very funny. Anyway. <laughs> that is hilarious. So you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. And before we talk about space operas, we're going to take a quick break. Bonjour, Bria. Bonjour. In case you don't speak French, that's Bria and I saying hello to each other. And we just learned it from Babbel, which is the number one selling language learning app and one of the sponsors of our show today. Unlike the infamous language classes you took in high school, Babbel designs their 15-minute lessons with practical, real-world conversations in mind. Imagine yourself. You're standing under the Eiffel Tower. You're holding, you're holding a croissant. Someone's wearing a beret, and you're saying things in French. That's your future if you use Babbel. Incredible. And you don't just have to pick French. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, Italian, German, and yes, French. You know, we're all getting vaccinated. We're all dreaming about traveling. And when you go somewhere, you're going to need to talk to the people once you get there. You're going to need to order that croissant. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. I'm just picturing all of y'all under the Eiffel Tower. You're, you're over by the Louvre. Wow. <laughs> Speaking I French. don't think the, the Louvre is next to the Eiffel Tower. Nope, but you're traveling across the city because you can because you used Babbel. <laughs> well, what's cool about Babbel speech recognition technology is that if you are, I don't know, maybe from the Boston area like me and your pronunciation and accent is, is wrong for all English words, they'll be able to help you pronounce French words correctly. And so you're not just reading and typing out these words. Babbel's really teaching you how to say them and how to speak them. So right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. That's absolutely amazing. And by the time six months is up, you're going to be able to order so many croissants. It'll be incredible. So that's Babbel.com, B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code glasses for an extra three months free. So that's six months for the price of three at Babbel.com, promo code glasses. Babbel, language for life. Glasses. Glasses. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Kelsey Dara, Open Mike Eagle, and Patton Oswalt. Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was in therapy. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode for maximum fun, wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're figuring out what the heck a space opera is and why it's slightly different than other sci-fi books set in space. Uh, so just like not all science fiction is set in space, not all books set in space are science fiction. Mm. Science fiction generally means that science and technology are like an integral part of the story. Space operas, on the other hand, while they often fall under the umbrella of sci-fi because they feature like aliens and spaceships and laser guns and shit, are sort of their own thing. 
Yeah, a little history on the term. Um, it was coined in 1941, which I did not realize that. Um, yeah, by, that's, I, I <laughs> thought that it was wild? sort of a recent thing. No, by a man named Wilson Tucker, who wrote a fanzine, a fanzine called La Zombie. Um, but it was kind of used, he used it at the time as, in like a negative way. Um, he said it meant, quote, hacky, grinding, gr- grinding, stinking, outworn spaceship yarn. That's what it meant. <laughs> oh, an Damn. old stinking spaceship yarn. He used it to like, as a, like a pejorative term. Um, and at the time, the word opera was in vogue. Like people were using it to, because there were all these narrative, um, I almost said podcasts, narrative radio plays, um, which people called, you know, the pre-podcast, the pre-podcast, narrative radio plays, people called them soap operas. This was uh, pre-soap opera that we know on TV. They were like cheesy melodramas, but they were also at the same time, and I thought this was very funny, um, melodramatic, cheesy westerns, and people called those horse operas. If you were, yeah, if, if listeners recall from our horse books episode from way back in the day, oh, we that- talked about hor- horse operas then. Oh, and uh, yeah, we talked about horse operas on the horse books episode. And now here we are talking about space operas. We're covering the entire opera book spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. We should bring horse opera back. But so basically he was really like, should. this is a melodramatic thing that happens in space. But then over the course of the past, whatever, uh, 80 years or so, it has been redefi- redefined a number of times. Obviously it got redefined in relation to the Star Wars franchise, which is something I think people really think about when they think about space operas. Um, but it, it, it didn't get rid of its negative connotations really until the 90s. Um, and now we kind of know it as what you said, which is like a large scale science fiction, usually set in space and usually having to do with the war, with war or military that tends to be part of it. But it kind of, there are things there, we'll talk about it, but there are things that definitely like sit on the outside of space opera that kind of get included as well. So Bria, as the, as our resident space expert, uh, what does it mean to you when someone describes a book as like a space opera? For me, it means epic, epic, like big, far reaching. It's not one battle. There's many, many battles and probably in like various parts of space. Like that is my go to um, space opera thought. But there are other books that I'm like, this is a space opera because it has so many things that make me feel like it is big and sprawling. Usually means a lot of um, world building. And I will say this, when people use the term space opera, I am often like, that's going to be an overwhelming book for me. It's going to be so much. It's going to be a real commitment. Like it doesn't scare me off, but it does make me get concerned about the length of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Potential honker. (laughs) What about you? Uh, What do you think about when people say space opera? For me, it's actually the opera part that's the important part Mm. um, because I always think of space operas as like big operatic stories and not in the way that like people are singing, but like big romances, big stakes, Mm -hmm. traveling across big distances and yes, big battles. Um, When if someone describes it, like hands me a book and it's like, oh, this is a space opera. To me, it's going to be a book that does not like focus specifically on like science or technology or how that stuff works. But it's like some big sweeping story in a universe with lots of characters that are like trying to overthrow a regime or rescue someone or maybe both. And like there's a lot of melodrama. That's what a space opera is to me. Yeah. Um, But it's. Bria, it's no secret that you like space, but do you like space operas? I do, I do. Even though I just said sometimes it scares me away. But um, I do, I like space operas because I know it means that I'm getting into like a very specific kind of book. I know it's going to provide me with some cool like 
like epic sequences. I mean, I don't, as we've talked about on the show, I don't do a ton of like battles, battle books. I'm not like drawn to war books in any way. But then I read them and I'm like, oh, I do like this. This is exciting. It is fun. It is like, it's like part, <laughs> the action part definitely like draws me in, I think. And then also the world building because there's going to be like weird aliens or weird space battles or something like that. Like that stuff is always, always fun. It's very escapist, obviously, which is something um, I am always drawn to. Uh, what about you? Do you? How do you feel about a space opera? I wouldn't know. I don't think I've ever read a space opera. Well, In fact, I'm is, uh, pretty sure I haven't. Maybe this is a Reading Glasses 2022 challenge. Oh. To really get get you out of your get you out of your um, box. Here's a question: Isn't there? Is the book Space Opera by Cat Valente a space opera, or is it I, about people singing in space? It is about people singing in space, but I would say it also is a space opera, even though, because it has okay. a battle, people singing in space, and it is very epic. It's very epic. It's about people battling. It's like a, uh, what is that thing? The the It's like Hunger the, Games, but for singing, right? No, it's like Eurovision. Oh, in space. right, right. It's like Eurovision, but in space. like, but but the stakes are really high, right? Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. It's like life and death. Yeah, so it's like Hunger Games mixed with Eurovision. It, it yeah, and it's very enjoyable. It is, it is quite a fun, fun book. And if people don't love like guns and war and stuff, there's a lot less of them in that. It's, it is about the singing. Um, so like that, that is, that is, that's a fun one. And I would say if people are like on the like I don't know how I feel about space books and space operas like that's definitely one that you could stick your dip your toe into the world I I would classify it as a space opera but I have trouble with this term because I feel like you can classify a lot of things in the space opera world I'm sure there's some really strict space operists out there who (laughs) who have opinions about this but that but that's they're wearing the big viking horns and like a large robe um well so that was the next thing I was going to ask you is do you think if someone who generally isn't into sci-fi might like a space opera yeah, I think so because I think part of the things, one of the things that really draws us to sci-fi is this sort of escapist, this is not our world, but we're trying to say something about our world. Um, I think that that is something space operas can provide and because that, that's something, one of the reasons I like reading science fiction. And I think, look, it can be intimidating because there's like a whole world, there's all these battles you have to learn about. Like, I don't know about the current battles that we need to wor- worry about that are currently <laughs> happening. Um, but yes, I think if you read the blurb and it sounds interesting, definitely pick it up. I think I think if you are a person who likes escapist literature like me, like you're like, oh, I like reading things that are not quite of this world, then this is definitely like a genre that you would enjoy. Do you agree? Yeah, I I, yeah, I think it's worth a try. I think it depends what someone isn't into about sci-fi. Like, especially if someone who, like, isn't into hard sci-fi and, like, doesn't care about reading about math and engineering and technology, um, but they love, like, a big honker, a big epic story where everything is heightened and there's, like, a lot going on. I think that's definitely a prime audience for space operas. Because mm-hmm. I think, again, for it's almost the, I mean, obviously it takes place in space, but that's not as much the important part as the opera part. So if you're someone who's like, oh God, I don't want to listen to someone like having to grow potatoes out of their own poop, like maybe space opera is is the genre for you. Yeah. And you know what? I like, I mean, I like both, but there is something really nice about something you that is You so love growing bigger. potatoes out of your own poop. Every day I wake up and eat my morning poop <laughs> potatoes. Oh God, I'm taking that out. That was so gross. I'm sorry. Um, wait, Mallory, have you read Dune? 
I have. Is that a space? Oh, I guess that is kind of a space I, opera. I think it is. I actually like looked up. I was kind of looking up like the basic space operas that like what should I have? Because there's a lot I haven't read. A lot of the basic ones, and it kept coming up. I mean, I think people could I, argue probably either way, but I, I, it gets classified as that. I guess I never think of Dune as a space opera because it takes up so much time. Like there's like a lot of generations. But um, but I think that's part of the epicness of a space opera is that it can. Interesting. They do kind of take up a lot of time. Sometimes they take generations, which I sort of like. Like the same way, like something like The Passage is a vampire opera. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that. Um, I just think, yeah, I agree with you. I think we should start using the word opera to describe more types yeah. of books. To describe something that's just very epic and large scale, I think. Somebody get me a werewolf opera right fucking now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, Bria, what are what are some space operas you recommend? I have a few. Okay, so Hyperion by Dan Simmons is a real definer of this genre for me because it's epic. There's traveling involved. There's this horrific thing called the Shrike that they have to fight. And it came out in the 80s. And it has that, like, 80s sci-fi feel to it that somehow combines, like, nostalgia and the future to me, which I really very much enjoy. Everybody has giant hair but is wearing, like, shiny silver spandex. I There's nothing I love more. This is a tangent, but there's nothing I love more than like some 1960s future. Like where like if oh, you yeah. could design me a house that looks like the Jetsons, I would like totally live there. Um, but uh, <laughs> but but there, but it is there's something about it that like has that like 80s like, um, you know, it's it's like quite dark. It's kind of dark. It's kind of like pessimistic in some ways. Um, and it was one of probably one of the first space operas I ever read. And I was like, what is this? And um, just really liked it. Um, John Scalzi writes in this world a lot. I know I've mentioned Old Man Old Man's War on this on the show before, but I want to throw in Collapsing Empire because it's a little different of a space opera. I think it's less like um, traveling through space, battling different aliens. It's um, about a world in which there's this field that opens up space time so you can travel through worlds, essentially like through these doorway wormhole things. So like you may live you know, a million light years from me. I don't know if it goes that far. And I can just jump there really quickly. But for some reason, these worlds start, these doorways start closing up. So like the travel and the interstellar communication and the interstellar travel and trade that's been happening starts shutting down and they don't know why. Um, So that's pretty cool. And it's very different, but I think it is, it is very expansive. Obviously it's literally about a huge empire that's getting collapsed. So it's kind of an interesting. Speaking of expanse, does does the expanse series count as a space opera? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. The expanse series. And then of course I got to mention Cameron fucking Hurley. Um, Stars are Legion. Yeah. Stars are Legion. Uh, It's battles, women, and uh, there's a whole secret with the main character, but tons of battles, very fun. And I'd be amiss to not mention uh, the Binti series by Nettie Okorafor, because this series is not, if you're looking to go in and you're not like, oh, I don't know, like these books sound really big and I'm gonna have to learn a lot, these are novellas. So it's like there's somehow like she's able to like combine the expansiveness of a space opera into a very small book. And there's a number of them and they're great. Um, so I think any of those are a great place to start, especially Benty. If you're looking for like, uh, just a smaller thing to get into space opera, like maybe that would be good for you, Mallory. Cause you know, if you, it, it's over quickly, if, if you, if you're not into it, <laughs> but it is really good. And they've, those, the Benty series is one wins an award, like every year, one of them comes out. Um, so those would be my places that I would start, but, um, there's so many good ones out there. And, um, I find that like, again, 
I think the word opera scares people because it feels so big, and I think people shouldn't be scared of it. I find I'm scared. Oh, of I am. I, I am pro opera. I am looking forward to our operaful future again. If someone has haunted, oh, I guess uh, you couldn't have a haunted house opera. Um, Why not? I mean, you could, but you have to. Like, someone could do it. You know, I was. This is a total ta- tangent, but there is a new comic book series that I think you and I should start reading. Jeremy started reading it, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's about um, these people that start these ghosts that start um, taking over these haunted houses, like as if they were Jaegers from Pacific Rim. To f- there's like all these big monsters that are taking or like fight or like taking over the world. So these go. Oh, Jeremy's texting me the name of it homesick pilots thank you baby Hmm. um (laughs) and so these ghosts take like get in these haunted houses and use and like possess them and start making them move like robots i really want to read it i keep forgetting we have the the first issue but i think you and i should check it out cool but yeah Yeah. bring bring on the operas i am excited about the operas someone someone has a werewolf opera for the love of god please send it to me send all your space opera recommendations to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com and before we talk to the legendary charlie jane anders about space operas and her new space opera victories greater than death which bria loved uh we're gonna take a quick break reading glasses is supported in part this week by libby Bree and I's favorite app, the app that you would have to pull from our cold, dead fingers, our, the app that we would bring to a de- desert island. But Bria, what is Libby? Wow. Libby is a free reading app created by Overdrive. You know our friends over at Overdrive. It, this lets you borrow ebooks and audiobooks from your library on your phone, tablet, Kindle, or computers. All you need is a valid library card from your library. I mean, Bria, did you just say the words free reading? Free reading. Uh, those might be the two greatest words put together ever, besides mm-hmm. maybe free chocolate, maybe free snacks. <laughs> so even if you don't have a library card currently, you can read samples of any book that you see. And so Libby works just like your physical library, except it's in your pocket. You simply borrow available books you want to read, and then they return themselves automatically after your loan expires. You don't have to drive to the library and drop things off. It is amazing. Y'all, we posted uh, uh, just just a little Libby shout out on our Instagram, and it is one of our most popular posts. And everybody went on there to talk about how they use Libby, how much they've used Libby, Libby in the last year to listen to more audiobooks. Uh, because you can download audiobooks. You can listen to them right from your phone. It's where I listen to a lot of audiobooks. It is fantastic for all kinds of reading. But that is one that if you have not explored their audiobook uh, interface and uh, the, how easy it is to check out books on there, that is a place that you should definitely go. Oh, I mean, I use Libby every single day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely every single day. Definitely for a ton of audiobooks. I've been reading more ebooks lately. Uh, the book I talk about on the show this week, um, I read with, uh, I'm reading with, with Libby. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, what, what's better than free books in your pocket? I mean, it's, it truly doesn't get better than that. Like, it, it, I, I can't, I, besides, like, I don't know, like a bartender that lived in my pocket and made drinks for me, I mean, I, I can't think of anything more convenient and fantastic. So you can download Libby in the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store to start borrowing and sampling ebooks and audiobooks today. That's right. If there's, if, even if you don't have a library card and there's a book that you're interested in, you can get Libby and read a sample of it to see if you, if you want to check it out. How convenient, how fantastic. Such a hot, the hottest of book tips. Very much. So, Yeah. Libby. Libby. Hi. 
I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard, and we have no advice, but we do see you doing it. Talk if you like to do it. <laughs> Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, yeah. honk if you did it? That's what it I was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. <laughs> Why did we not ever make this? Those we are did delight. make them. I did think they're still in the Max Fun store. <laughs> honk, honk. You're doing it. <laughs> Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Honk, honk. Toot, toot. So here we are with the author of Victories Greater Than Death, Charlie Jane Anders. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, what are you reading right now? Man, I just finished reading a graphic novel called Girl Haven, uh, written by Lila Sturgis, about a, uh, a magical realm that only girls can go to. And their main character is named Ash and thinks that he's a boy, but when he magically is able to go to Girlhaven and be in the realm that only girls are allowed to go to by like, which is magically protected against boys going there, he starts to suspect that maybe he's not, you know, he starts to realize that all these feelings he's had about maybe not actually being a boy are a bigger deal than he had realized or that, you know, he's kind of, basically it's, it's a really beautiful sort of trends coming out story. It's for kids. It's really, really fun and lovely and gorgeous. And I was just so happy to be able to read it. I'm also kind of in the middle of reading uh, Detransition Baby by Tori Peters, which is a little bit less, uh, you know, magical, but still also very fun. Wow. Those sound awesome. Um, so can you tell us about your new book, Victories Greater Than Death, which I love? Yeah, I Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'd be delighted to. It's basically, it's also a coming of age story, kind of. It's a young adult book about a girl named Tina who, you know, she's known for a few years now that she's actually the clone of an alien hero. And at some point when she's old enough, the aliens will come back to get her. And she was left, she was left on Earth as a baby and hidden, disguised to look like a human. But she's actually an alien and she's the clone of this amazing hero. And when the aliens come to get her, she'll remember who she really is and she'll embrace her destiny and go off and save the galaxy. And so she and her best friend, Rachel, go into space and they recruit some other Earth kids. But Tina basically realizes at some point that, you know, being a hero is more complicated than she thought. Claiming her heritage and her destiny is, turns out to be a little bit more complicated than she was expecting. And she kind of has to figure out who she really wants to be. And it's kind of, you know, it's it's a love letter to all of the space operas that that nurtured me when I was a kid and that kind of, you know, made gave me a place to escape to when I was a teenager. Well, I absolutely loved it. I'm going to fangirl out and get really specific on some questions. Um, <laughs> and I hope that's yeah, okay. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Okay, okay great. Yeah. All right. There was so much I liked in this book, but um, one line that really stuck with me um, was at one point... Um, the character of Rachel asks uh, Tina, uh, uh, you know, there are other ways to be a hero than just punching things, right? And I felt like that was, I loved that line. And I felt like it was kind of one of the core concepts of the book, these kind of different ways 
to be a hero. Um, was that something you were thinking of? And then I kind of wanted to ask you more broadly, do you go in with specific thematic ideas or do they kind of find their way naturally into your work? Yeah, those are both amazing questions. And, and they're actually very related because, you know, I mean, I think about violence a lot in general. And like the other book that I, you know, the book that I published in 2019, The City in the Middle of the Night, also has a theme of, of like talking about violence and the costs of violence and the extent to which kind of we ignore the violence that is built into the the system that we all live in. Like, you know, all of the rules of society are in the end enforced through violence i.e. the police and other kind of systems of violence. And, you know, those of us who are privileged and lucky enough to ignore that are just like, no, we live in a peaceful society. And we actually don't. We live in a society where everything is is run on the basis of if you break these rules, you will be punished violently. And, you know, I consider arresting someone a form of violence, even if you do it, you know, without hurting them physically somehow. Um, so, you know, this was a theme that's kind of important to me in general, but I didn't really think of it as a theme that was going to be in Victories Greater Than Death. In fact, my idea going into Victories Greater Than Death was I want to write a fun space opera along the lines of Star Wars or, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And that's going to mean lots of pew, pew, pew laser battles and like lots of fight scenes and lots of action, lots of like space battles, lots of like, you know, taking on the bad guys and barely escaping by the skin of our teeth, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and then I got about halfway through and really started to bump up against this idea of like this teenage girl from earth. Who's never like, she's maybe gotten into like a little scuffle in the hallway in high school before, but she's never been in a fight fight mm -hmm. and she's now going to go around killing people. And it just, it started to hit me really hard. And, you know, there was basically that one chapter where Tina minor, very minor spoiler, Tina, the main character, is forced to kill people for the first time in her life. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, this is another fun adventure she's on. And then I kind of, as I was writing it, I was like, no, this isn't. This is actually a really big deal. She's killing people. This is going to change her forever. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a really scary, huge thing. And it's not something that should be taken lightly, like taking a, a, a human or taking the life of a person who has hopes and dreams and thoughts and, you know, a whole inner life of their own, even if they're doing a lot of bad stuff, even if they're, you know, on the one of the bad guys, you're still taking a life and that should be a big deal. And that actually completely caught me by surprise. It was not in my outline. Like it wasn't something that I planned on being a big deal, but it became a huge big deal and really changed the second half of the book in ways that I hadn't planned on. So, you know, the thing about themes for me is, you know, sometimes I do go in with a pretty solid idea of where the story is going in terms of plots. Not always. Sometimes I just kind of stumble around until I find the plot. And like that was definitely the case in a lot of my previous books. But with the young adult book, I'm trying to have more kind of tight plotting because I want to make sure that I don't drop the ball. And so I actually am outlining more. But I feel like I can outline plot. I can outline theme. Like, and I might, you know, oftentimes in a theme, in an outline, in a, you know, when I'm pitching a project or when I'm just pitching it to myself before I write it, I will be like, okay, the theme is this, and we're going to see this, this, and this, and we're going to find this, and this is going to add to this sense of blah. And then that never ends up being the real theme. Like that doesn't, there's no way. It's the theme for me comes out of what the characters are thinking about and what, how they're reacting to the things that they're experiencing. And I can't know that until I'm in their heads 
for a long time and I'm really dealing with it. I feel like a theme that's imposed by me, the author from above is going to, at least for me, is going to always feel kind of clunky. And like, I'm just being like, the theme is friendship. The theme is, you know, it's going to feel like a third grade book report, which no disrespect <laughs> to people in third grade writing book reports. You know, that was me, obviously, once upon a time, although I was unable to write book reports in third grade because of my learning disability, but that's a whole other story. But anyway, you know, I feel like the theme has to come from within. It has to come from the characters. If the characters are obsessing about a thing, that becomes the theme. If the characters unexpectedly, like there's a thing where I'm in the outline, okay, they do this and they just get past this and it's easy in my head, but when the characters are doing it for some reason, it's hard for them, that becomes thematic. And the thing that the characters talk to each other about. So I feel like a good theme is one that, you know, is organic, I guess, is what I would say. And that that has to grow organically. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like all of your themes were very organic. Um, and I got a lot out of this book. I mean, I feel like you you touched on so many, so many cool themes. I feel like it, it's coming of age. I feel like you touched on gender. You touched on anxiety and mental health. Um, do you think science fiction kind of lends itself to that? I mean, for sure. I think that, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, we have a hard time looking at in context, in the context of our daily lives, because there's just so much clutter and so much stuff that we take for granted and so much stuff that we've trained ourselves not to see over a long period of time. You know, things that we don't want to notice because they make us upset. And so we just like don't notice them. And the, the example I always use is homeless people. Like, you know, anybody who lives in a city walks past homeless people all the time. And we mostly, you know, unfortunately tune them out because we don't want to think about the fact that we live in a society that is okay with so many people not having a home. Um, so, you know, I think that when you take things out of their context, you can suddenly see them way more clearly. And when you have people in a context that's very unfamiliar to the writer and the reader and everybody, you can kind of examine aspects of their character and of human nature and of just being a person and being alive without the kind of, oh, of course it works like this because this is our daily lives. So I think science fiction and fantasy have an amazing ability to kind of look at people in a, in a wider context. Yeah. Which I think you did with this book in a really great way. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited for people to read it. Um, so this episode is all about space operas. Um, do you consider this a space opera? I do. Is that? Oh the yeah, for okay. sure. I mean, this is literally like me doing my take on like Star Wars and Star Trek and, you know, and now Steven Universe and She-Ra, which I didn't even know about either of those things. I think She-Ra wasn't even a thing when I started working on this and I hadn't watched Steven Universe yet, but they definitely are in there because I was watching them as I was working on it. And okay, well, besides that, what about book recommendations? Do you have any of those space opera book mm -hmm. recommendations? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, a space opera series that has meant like so much to me over the years is uh, Ian M. Bex's culture books, which, you know, I always say that when I was first just kind of thinking about being a writer, I got a copy of Consider Flebas, which is one of the first uh, culture books that Ian M. Banks wrote. And it just exploded my head. And I was like, I could never write a book like this. There's just no way I could write a book like this. I, I just don't have that in me, but I want to try. And I want, and I just feel like this makes me feel like, amazing stuff is possible in space opera and in science fiction. The culture books, for those who haven't read them, are basically Ian M. Banks's story of a kind of utopian society in space. And it's not a utopia in the same way as like the Federation and Star Trek. It's 
much more advanced. You have these like super, super intelligent uh, artificial intelligences, which kind of run everything in the culture. And, you know, it's a very kind of like gender fluid, sexually fluid utopia where people can have different bodies and it's post-scarcity. It kind of influenced this huge like wave of post-scarcity stories that came out. Mm. You know, another book recommendation I have is actually uh, Ursula K. Le Guin wrote a bunch of what I would consider space opera stories mm. uh, that are basically the, called the Hainish uh, series, H-A-I-N-I-S-H. And the Library of America has done a two-volume set of all of the Hainish novels and stories, which is like thousands of pages. It's like 2,000 pages, I think, of amazing fiction that includes like the left hand of darkness and the dispossessed but also a bunch of other stuff that people don't always read of hers and it's just she created this really complicated space opera universe with all these different alien worlds and different societies and you know different types of people and when you read the whole thing from beginning to end like i did a couple of years ago you're just like blown away by the amount of stuff she came up with and actually part of what you're blown away by is the fact that she did not care at all about continuity or canon yeah. she will contradict herself every other page or every other book really she'll <gasps> like she'll establish something in one book really carefully like this is the way things work and then the next book should be like lol whatever i changed my mind <laughs> and she's very upfront about that she's like yeah i don't care it's all each book is its own thing and i just changed my mind about stuff and i don't care Oh my God. I had no idea. Wow. That's brave. That's brave shit right there. That's awesome. That is, yeah. And I just, I love, I love that she just does that and she doesn't, she just goes for it. And I think it's just super fun. Another recommendation I have for space opera is a book that I feel like didn't get as much love as it deserved. It definitely deserves more love. And that is the best of all, I think it's the best of all possible worlds by Karen Lord. And mm. it's basically, it's like, it's a space opera about, it's kind of a romance. It's about, and it starts out really dark and kind of upsetting, and then it very quickly becomes light and fun. It's basically about a, a species of super logical, kind of rational people, the Sidereans, who are basically like the Vulcans in Star Trek. And their home planet is wiped out. And in order to continue their species, they have to kind of make contact with some of the offshoots of their people who have settled on other planets and kind of kind of find people to get married to so that they can continue their species. And so it's this one Sidereian traveling around with this other person trying to find the right place to settle down. And it's just, it's very sweet and gentle. It's a very kind of friendly book, even though it starts out with genocide. And it's just it's like, it's definitely feels like a tribute to Star Trek, but it's also its own thing. And, and Karen Lord wrote a sequel called The Galaxy Game. And I highly recommend both of those. She's just an amazing writer. and Those books are wonderful. Ooh, okay. I'm going to have to check those out. Those are great recommendations. Um, so uh, you've been on the show before, but I don't think we asked you your reader wheelhouse last time. Ooh. So like, that's like stuff that like makes you pick up a book no matter what, like you, you know, the book is about this. And so you will always read that type of book. Wow. I mean, lately, um, I've been just really excited to read a lot of YA by, by BIPOC authors. And that's been a thing that I've been really kind of hungry for, because I feel like there's just so much great stuff happening in, in YA specifically written by non-white authors. Um, you know, if it's a really, 
if it's a, a book by a trans author that has like really positive affirming trans representation, that's another thing that I will look for. I generally like any book that has a strong focus on relationships mixed with like complicated world building. Like if there's like, like Becky Chambers, for example, Becky mm -hmm. Chambers, she's another space opera author actually. Mm -hmm. And you know, stuff like that. If a book is compared to Becky Chambers or compared to that type of like, you know, friendly characters and also, and like strong relationships and also like a really complicated, interesting world. That's just an automatic buy for me. Perfect. Um, so where can we find you online and where can people buy your book? Yeah. So people can find me on Twitter at Charlie Jane. Uh, my website is charliejane.com or charliejane.net. And uh, people can buy my book um, from their local independent bookstore. And actually, um, I mean, to be like, actually, but if you go to my Twitter bio, there's a link to where you can, if you pre-order it, and there's links to pre-order it, if you pre-order it from any bookstore, you can get a free enamel pin if you submit your receipt. Ooh. And um, if you order it from a pre-order it from an independent bookstore, you get the enamel pin plus four beautiful art prints of the characters in the book. <gasps> so I highly recommend doing that. You can get just an incredible package of amazing free stuff just for pre-ordering the book. Wow. Oh, okay. People have to do that right now. That is great. Um, and y'all are going to love this book. So thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This was so much fun. Now let's answer a recommendation request from one of our listeners. Wade writes in, I have an acquaintance that is a quote unquote nice guy, but he's tr really trying to improve himself. He recently told me that he hated books with female protagonists. This guy's clearly not a glasser, <laughs> uh, which is 90% of the books I read. I told him I would put together a list of books to make him realize that female led books are awesome. I'd like him to I'd like to get him reading works by queer authors and authors of color as well. Is there any way to help me with recommendations to turn this entitled boy into a woke man? <laughs> he seems to like dad books, books with magic, and he says he wants some romance in the story. Please, ladies, help me out. This I love, we get so many recommendations for people wanting us to recommend books to help out men. <laughs> it's very, Whether it's dads, um, acquaintances, friends. Um, Bria, what do you think Wade's friend should read? Okay. I have a, I have an out there recommendation. But since we're talking about Cameron Hurley, I was thinking about Cameron Hurley and I was thinking about the book The Light Brigade because it's it's it has like kind of dad oh. stuff because it's like war books. But I, I was like, stuff. I was like, what is the gender of the main character? And I couldn't remember. And so I went and tried to look it up and it's because Cameron Hurley doesn't reveal the Never gender. specifies it. Never specifies the gender of the main character. And I wonder if something like this might be good for this guy because he can see that maybe, you know, in certain contexts gender is is somewhat irrelevant in like this particular context what's more important for this person's identity is their soul is that they're a soldier um and and they are beamed into light uh, they are <laughs> beamed onto another planet to fight uh to fight uh wars so it's very epic but then it's also 
um, the person's like jumping around in time. So while it's not magic, it's sci-fi, and I feel like it has like some very like fantastical elements to it. Um, but I think that could be like a good, interesting way to be yes. like to start this gender conversation. Even like, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I mean, look, and there are obviously like books that it is important what the gender is. Um, and that's a lot of books, or it is important to talk about the experience of of women and how that differs from the experience of men. But like yes. having this conversation about like maybe having an undefined gender sometimes is also an, just an interesting conversation and something to turn him on to. Plus, it's written by Cameron Hurley, Hurley, who's like a badass woman, and he can see that badass women can write badass cool books. Um, mm-hmm. so, so that's my recommendation, The Light Brigade uh, by Cameron fucking Hurley. Um, <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you have for um, Wade to recommend to the nice guy? Um, Wade, I do want to say you are so much nicer than me. Uh, while I applaud your mission, remember that it isn't your job to fix entitled boys. Uh, that being said, books are magic. So maybe who knows? Yeah. Maybe I, I do kind of um, like it is nice to think about this guy cracking open a book with an amazing badass female protagonist and like a, a beam of light shines down upon him. And he's like, women are great. Um you know, maybe this guy will have a huge revelation and stop being a trash baby. Who knows? Um, but so I, I tried to hit all of the markers on this. And I, so I tapped my best friend, Laura Pinto over at Orbit Books because mm-hmm. um, I texted her and I was like, I need some fantasy books mm-hmm. with, with people with romance. Help me out. Um, and she recommends Unbroken by C.L. Clark. So we have not one, but two female protagonists in a historical fantasy in battles about rebellions, we got traitors, and we got a lot of making out. Wow. So All I think this book is perfect. I think it's it's like very much a dad book in the way that it's like, again, <laughs> Lauren even was like, dads like these kinds of books because it's like a historical fantasy. There's a lot of big battles going on. The two, one of the characters is a soldier. The other one needs to find someone to be a traitor for her. Um, you know, there's, there's this rebellion going on, um, but there's a lot of romance and you Love know it. it even says like in the description like some of these battles take place in the bedroom Whoa. so uh i think it's perfect it's, it's a perfect mix of everything of like fantasy um dad books and romance uh i think this is uh, and it's cover is wicked fucking gorgeous so this makes a great gift book um if wade is super nice and it's like i bought you a book with a female protagonist read this motherfucker um wade please keep us posted on your friend's journey with female protagonists we are very intrigued um again also of course all the glassers are going to have great recommendations about about this because female i think strong female protagonist is like one of the number one things that people put in their wheelhouses yeah um, true. so we're looking forward to, to hearing if, if wayne's friend uh wade's friend can get converted to the to the, to the good side <laughs> uh so if you want us to solve your reader problem or answer a recommendation or request you can send it to reading glasses podcast at gmail.com as always we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our facebook group and christy and rachel who moderate our goodreads page remember that you can buy reading glasses tote bags and shirts and stickers in the maximum fun store there's a link in the show notes and if you like the show and you want to do something for us for free you can rate and review us on itunes it's fantastic for us it's fantastic to get more listeners it's fantastic to get more advertisers it's fantastic for our mental health and it's free for you it takes like a minute it's fantastic so you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com find us on twitter at readingglassespodcast on instagram at readingglassespodcast thanks for listening and thanks Thanks for for reading. reading